Hi friends, welcome to Preacher, a podcast designed around the reality that many of our churches are shrinking because we haven't created a place where everyone can belong. So if you're seeing that reality in your own church, or you've experienced that and left the church, this podcast is for you. Welcome. We have a wonderfully supportive and encouraging Patreon community. Sarah, Lauren, Dave, Steve, Mark, Sheila, and Tom, I thank the world of you all, and I thank our God every time I remember you. If you are a listener who hasn't yet joined our Patreon community, now is a great time. Your support keeps this good work going, so thank you. Links are in the show notes. I'm your host, Jen Hale Christie, and I want to welcome you to Season 5, Episode 6. Today's episode features a sermon by Rachel Collins. She is a staff member and an adjunct instructor at Pepperdine University. Um, Rachel's sermon is entitled, The God Who Sees, and it looks at the story of God and Hagar in Genesis 16. Her sermon helps us to consider who should be invited to sit at our table, you know, like exploring the relationship between um, this inclusive, diverse community um, and God's name, El Roy, the God who sees me. In order to create a thriving, diverse community, the church has got to be committed to seeing others and including others, just like God does throughout the Bible. We, as um, fellow believers, we can feel equipped for this task by regularly reminding ourselves that God sees us and God is delighted to include us at God's table. And so when we extend that inclusion towards others, it's an extension of the inclusion that we have already experienced from God. We've got a great interview after the sermon, really thinking through specifically how this might look in our churches. Um, So I encourage you to stick around for that. And now, let's hear a word. Today, I want to try and answer the question, who is invited to sit at our table? Another way to ask this might be, how do we create healthy community? And does that community include or exclude? Lately, the question of how we form and keep community has been on the forefront of our minds. As churches meet online during quarantine, as friends FaceTime, families do nightly phone calls, the nature of community itself has been called into question. And as we begin to reflect on how divided we are, how the church is statistically one of the most racially segregated institutions, the chasm of divide culturally and politically seems to ever increase. We often become obsessed with who is in and who is out. And as I thought about these things, I started to wonder why God seems to desire that we live in community. Like, why does God care so much about this? But as we search the scriptures and see the life of Jesus, it seems like it's because God is radically inclusive by nature. Jesus is constantly including people. We see that with Zacchaeus, for instance, getting a dinner invitation from Jesus. Or with Jesus including lepers and talking to sinners. God seems to be obsessed with inviting and including people. And when you invite a bunch of people from all over the place, well, the result is diverse and thriving community. We are absolutely wired to want to be included, 
no matter how differently we look from someone else. Honestly, one of my worst middle school memories was not feeling included in this certain group's lunch table seating. Talk about not feeling like you're invited to the table. I remember I was made to sit one seat outside of the group because there wasn't any room on that part of the table that my friend group had staked claim on. And it was awful because middle school is the literal worst anyway. And every day I would have to lean over to try to hear the conversation. And I never felt like there was any room for me. Unfortunately, I don't think that stops once you're an adult. At least it didn't for me. I'm still vulnerable to the feeling of being left out, the injustice of it all, when spaces are not enlarged but are instead shrunk to only include the in-group. I mean, it feels great when you're part of the in-group, but it feels really, really terrible when you aren't. The thing is, Exclusion isn't limited to middle school lunch tables or cliques at work. No, it is woven into the very fabric of society, where systems are set up to exclude black people from the table, to disenfranchise people of color, to tell women to take a seat or go home. We live in a world which is naturally exclusive because I think in all of our hearts, lies a penchant for exclusivity, for keeping people out and away. Perhaps God knows this is a pitfall to being created for community, and I think that's part of where we see God including. So I want to talk today about a story where God receives a beautiful name, one of the first names that God ever gets, the God who sees me, or Elroy. And this story starts in a really interesting way because our story begins with God starting to establish God's people, Israel. And God does this by calling Abraham and asking Abraham to leave his home and to establish his people in a new land. Now, part of that involves producing heirs, populating this new land, if you will. But Abraham struggles with the idea that he could produce heirs because he and his wife, Sarah, I mean, they're really old. So as was common in this day, Sarah's servant, Hagar, becomes pregnant for them so that they can start this nation. Abraham and Sarah think they're being clever coming up with a loophole for God's plan. But the problem is Sarah gets angry and jealous that Hagar can get pregnant, and so she starts treating her very harshly. And this is where our story picks up, because Hagar has run away. So this is Genesis chapter 16, beginning in verse 7. Genesis chapter 16, our text says this. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. 
the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. Let's stop there for a second. So in establishing God's people, a woman who has no power and no privilege is used for the sake of someone else right out of the gate. And on top of this injustice, she is additionally mistreated by that very same woman who uses her. And so naturally, Hagar runs away. Now, God in this situation is trying to create a great nation. God has a bit of a passion project going on. God is setting a beautiful table, establishing his people, Israel. But instead of saying, oh, well, and starting fresh with Abraham and Sarah, which was the plan all along, it seems like here God metaphorically drops everything to go after Hagar. Where are you going? God asks her gently. Much like a child trying to run away, God, as a parent, runs after her. Where are you going? And here, God does this beautiful thing where he says, hey, I know this is hard and I know you've been mistreated, but if you go home, I will bless you beyond measure. It's like God is saying, you will not go unnoticed here. I will not stand by and allow you to be used. Which is incredibly ironic because God, in trying to establish God's people, is doing a very exclusive thing. God is putting a stake in the ground, which says, these are my people here, and automatically excluding others. My nation is here, and the others are not part of it. But what's the first thing he does in this project? The very first thing. He includes someone who is on the outside. Hey, your son is not the heir of this nation, but I see you and I will bless you and I will multiply your descendants as well. The angel blesses her and tells her all about her beautiful son. And after he does this, our text picks up in verse 13, when Hagar responds. Hagar says this, you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly, I have seen him who looks after me. Even when God establishes his people, God includes someone already supposed to be on the outside. It's like God in his passion project, sets the table, and then immediately adds an extra leaf. God sees me, says Hagar, and I am included too. Our God is a God who sees, Elroy. And this God is consistently seeing people all over the place. God sees Israel when they are trapped in Egypt, God sees the widows and the orphans and makes sure they are provided for. And Jesus, Jesus sees. Jesus sees those who are used and abused, those who are on the outside, marginalized, 
excluded. And so when we think about God's obsession with diverse community, and we overlay that with his name, El Roy, the God who sees, I think it becomes clear what we must do. The answer to the question, who was invited to sit at our table? The answer to the question, how do we create diverse community? It's rather simple. All are invited. Everyone can come sit our, at our table. And how do we invite them? We see people. We do what God does all over scripture. We look for people on the outside. We see those who need to be invited in and we keep making the spaces bigger. We set more places at the table. We cook more food. We build onto our tables to make them bigger. But we can't make space for people who we cannot or who we refuse to see. We need to quite simply look around for those who are different from us, to see those who are excluded, who believe differently, whatever it is. We do this like we see God looking for those who are running away or pushed away or off to the side and we invite them in. We don't need to call a forum or have a conference or establish a think tank for this. Because the problem isn't that complicated. The solution of seeing and inviting people isn't complex. The problem is that it's hard. And why is it hard? If it's simple, if the solution is simple, you make more room, you set more places, you build onto the table. Why is it hard? Because we often don't believe that God sees us. So how can we possibly imagine that we could go and see others in the same way? I remember when I was younger, I once heard a sermon preached where the pastor said something like, God sees everything, so watch out. God sees your thoughts. God knows your desires. God sees your private acts. God was like this cosmic policeman or like a really strict, unloving, and unkind caregiver who was out to get me. God loves you, the pastor said, but like also watch out. God sees us like Santa Claus, so be good for goodness sake. And try as I might, it didn't make me good. It just made me afraid. I wanted so much to be part of God's people, to be included. So I lived my spiritual life like a terrified child who just wanted to feel safe inside the house at God's table, but who was also sort of afraid of the God who lived there. So I lived my spiritual life holding my breath, hoping God didn't notice me because God sees all. That was a threat. But the God in the Bible just doesn't look that way. The God of the Bible is modeled in Jesus, who when confronted with a sinner like the woman caught in adultery, got down on her level, looked straight into her eyes and said, I don't condemn you. The God who sees gets down on your level and says, where are you going, dear daughter? 
Where are you going, my son? I see you. The God who sees sends Jesus to come to earth and get down on our level to say, I'm here for you. And then, as a side note, after he resurrects, he cooks some fish and he makes all the room at his table. It's hard to see others when you do not believe God sees you. Because when we do not know in our hearts that God sees us as his beloved children and takes specific delight in us, then we work off of this principle of scarcity where we don't want to enlarge our spaces. We don't want to set more places at the table because we are competing for the finite attention of God. But when we know that God sees us and loves us wholly and completely, it frees us up to invite others into that love because we know that God's love is in fact not scarce. Do you know that God sees you? Will you use that knowledge to see others? Will you invite others into the love of God too? I want to close with a prayer of blessing over whoever is listening right now. I want to pray a prayer of blessing that reminds you that our God sees you. It is my hope that wherever you are, you will receive this blessing both for yourself, but also as a charge to go and do likewise. Please close your eyes if you're able and receive these words. God sees you. God has not forgotten you. God designed you to be uniquely you. God delights in the diversity you bring to his people. And God loves that you specifically are included. God sees your pain, your joy, your passion, and your hope. God sees your sin, your doubt, your fear, and God still is overjoyed that you are his child. God sees every part of you and rejoices. And when you are tempted to run from him, God will chase after you and ask, where are you going, dear child? Where are you going? Come home and allow me to bless you. God is your Elroy. God sees you. May God sustain you as you go out and see others. May God's spirit challenge you every moment today, this week, this year, to include someone who is on the outside, to invite someone in, to set an extra place at your table. May you not be driven by scarcity, but instead by abundance, choosing to see and love and enlarge your group so that God may be glorified. Amen. I'm here with Rachel Collins. Rachel, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Well, great. Thank you so much for preaching a good word for us today and a timely word um, considering where we are in the world. Um, it's Monday, July the 20th. I feel like now I need to like say the date because you just don't know by the time this comes out. I don't know what, what will have changed um, by then. 
So, um, Rachel, I love how you talked about, um, uh, how it's our purpose to create community and how, um, you know, and really digging into that name for God that is the God who sees and, and elevating the God and Hagar story. Um, and, and especially this, this part about how it's hard for us to see others, see and include others when we don't think that God really sees us, or we don't think there's enough of that seeing to go around, um, when we're in this like scarcity mindset instead of an abundance mindset. Um, so good. Um, and that we're con- that we we can see ourselves as like competing for this attention of God for for God's love attention care whatever it is that we're like competing for that um, that like I mean where did we ever even get the idea that there was not enough to go around right Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I I feel like often I see um, even in my in myself as well like just this this fear that like oh no I need to like hoard it for myself you know and I think in society, like, you know, we live in a capitalist society that kind of teaches us, you got to hoard and you got to look out for number one and that's you. And I think sometimes, yeah, yeah, it can kind of seep into the way that we view God and the way that we see spirituality in our lives. And yeah, it's important that I'm reminding myself continuously, like, hey, God's love is abundant. You know, God's table is ever expanding. And, and it's a completely different mindset. It's a complete 180 from, I think, the way that we are taught um, how, to, how to think in a lot of situations in society. So yeah, yeah definitely. I, I, it also got me wondering, like, if, um, like you said, it, it's, it's simple, but it's hard, right? Like to, to make room at the table, to acknowledge that like, God's already created the space, like God's already invited everybody in, you know, like we just kind of need to scoot over. Um, I'm wondering if, if at least part of the problem is that like we as humans have put ourselves at the head of the church or in charge of, of the church or religious spaces, um, just as one more institution that like where we get to call the shots and we get to decide who does what, um, who goes where, you know, like, I don't know. Do you think, do you think that's involved here? I think so. I, I think often in the gospels, like when I'm reading about Jesus's interactions with the Pharisees and how frustrated he gets, honestly, I think it can be boiled down to like, he gets mad because the Pharisees think that they're gatekeepers for the kingdom. Of yes. God. Like they're, they're the ones that get to decide who's in and who's out. Um, and I think we often, we like to identify with the people that Jesus is like, Oh, come here. <laughs> but often we're <laughs> Pharisees, right? So we have to, we have to kind of put ourselves in that situation too, and realize that we often fancy ourselves gatekeepers of God's kingdom as well. Um, Cause I think it makes us feel powerful and it's, it's the church, unfortunately, sometimes can become just like any other club in some respects where we feel like we feel better about ourselves. We feel it, it helps our esteem to feel like we have some sort of control over who's in and who's out. We have some sort of control and almost like we're doing God a favor or something like, yeah. you know, don't worry, God, I got this. I'll make sure that these people don't come in. You know, I think it, it is just kind of in human nature, um, but it, it, it gets extra painful when it seeps into religious spaces, I think so. Definitely. And I think even with the best of intentions, you know, that, that some, some of us just kind of feel like we need to protect and take care of the church. And like, this is our job to, 
to, to, and you know, I mean, Jesus did say that like, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And that's, so that's like the continuing work of the church. But I think in so many ways we have taken that to a pharisaical (laughs) place and we've kept it there. Um, instead of emphasizing the grace and the openness and the inclusivity that that we really saw in Jesus, you know, we we just lean on Paul and and beyond. Like, okay, but give us the rules, and yeah. and tell you know, and who's who's gonna, but who's gonna be in charge? You know, like, sure, Jesus is the head, but but really, who's in charge? Yeah, it's funny too because sometimes when I talk about this, especially um, you know, with students, often students will be like, well, at one time. Paul threw that one guy out of the church. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. But it's funny because I I think that even in those situations, like the, the letters have this, this tone about them that makes you feel like even that person Paul sees as being part of the community. And and Mm -hmm. Paul is kind of like casting out with the hopes of redemption of bringing back in. Yes, Um, I think sometimes we do, have this tendency to like look in places of like, oh, we'll see, that's where we can exclude or that's where we can kind of set these rules. And I think also it's hard because it's not quite as black and white as we want it to be. Like, you know, being inclusive doesn't mean not having boundaries. Being inclusive doesn't mean that you don't protect people. You know, being inclusive doesn't mean that just anyone can walk in off the street and like be in charge of your children's ministry. Like that's bad news. (laughs) Let's not do that. But I think, um, I think that we do take it to the other extreme so often where we just get so nervous about, um, expanding and including that, that we tend to just shut down. Um, so I think that that's often what I feel like I'm trying to fight against and trying to speak towards is, um, what are those spaces where people just walk in and naturally feel like they're maybe not welcomed there? Um, yeah. So I want, I'm curious if you have, if, if there are examples you've seen and you don't have to name like the specific institution, but if there are places where you've kind of seen, um, seen this working well or where you've seen like, Oh, we really need more work here in terms of, you know, including people. Yeah, that's a good question. And I definitely, I won't name, name names. Um, I've, I've worked for several like Christian higher education institutions also, you know, been member of a lot of different churches. So (laughs) I'll speak very vaguely, but I, I think in, in the institutions where I've seen spaces feel really inclusive, um, I've seen people's voices respected and heard. I've seen, um, leaders truly seeing their, their people, um, and truly inviting more in, um, in a way that, that genuinely like respects the opinion, opinions of everyone there in a way that, um, creates kind of an egalitarian sort of, um, tone to the space where it's like, you're not invited in, in the sense that it's, like paternalistic, like, Mm -hmm. oh, you get to come in and isn't that special? You feel like you're part of it. It's like, you're actually part of it. You're actually seen and acknowledged and heard um, just as much as anyone else. And for me, I think the spaces that have felt more exclusive to me um, are not explicitly excluding. I I actually, I, I found that to be rare, at least in my experiences, but they're there are certain spaces that 
have have a connotation about them or like a like a vibe about them that only certain voices are really respected and other voices are sort of just like included in in a sort of paternalistic nod or like mm-hmm. oh yeah you can just come in and give your two cents but like now sit down so the real people can make the decisions i think those are the spaces where it, people are not dumb like they know <laughs> whether they're actually being invited in or whether mm-hmm. it's um you know, not, not actually, not actually a true seeing or, or welcoming. So. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Um, I, I have a few more things I want to ask, but I am realizing, um, based on my last question, I'm realizing that I completely blew past asking you to tell us about where you are, what you do, like we just yeah. dove right in. So will you tell us a little bit about that? For sure, for sure. Um, yeah, so um, I'm Rachel Collins, and I um, currently live in Southern California. My husband and I live in Santa Monica um, area in LA, um, and I work at Pepperdine University as the assistant director of student ministries. Um, so basically, I sort of like coach and help students who want to start a ministry on campus, and I teach them like how to lead and um, how to preach and do worship and basically anything they want to do, I try to help them do it. Um, and I'm also an adjunct faculty in religion division there. So, um, that, that is what I do (laughs) for work. So yeah. Nice. And I don't even know if you knew this, I saw it on your signature, your email signature line recently, but, um, I used to do the job that you do a different iteration of it years ago. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, Oh, we have to talk about this later. Um, yeah. Okay. So we know where you are, what you do. Um, what do you wish I'm, I'm going off script? Cause I didn't tell you I was going to ask this. I'm sorry. What, what do you wish, um, that you had heard from the church when you, I I'm whether or not you grew up in the church. Cause I don't know, like what kind of message do you wish that you had heard from the church or about the church? Yeah. Um, so I actually wasn't raised in the church. I became a Christian in high school um, which gives me kind of a unique perspective because I came in, um, kind of late in the game. And honestly, even early on, like, I wish, I wish I had been told that, like, I was genuinely part of their community. Um, Mm -hmm. because a lot of my friends that had been raised in churches and their families had been going there for years and years, like they were kind of part of something that I wasn't part of. Um, and so I would kind of come in on my own (laughs) 16 years old. I'd drive myself to church and be like, Hey guys. Um, and it just kind of felt like they were like, you don't really fit into our model. Um, you know, like you're, you're young and you're just coming by yourself and we don't really, we don't really know what to do with you. Um, so honestly, like that's one of the things I wish I had heard right from the get go when I became a Christian was like, we see you and we welcome you and we're going to find a place for you. Like, and even if we haven't seen this before, even if we haven't seen a 16 year old driving herself to church, like, (laughs) and coming by yourself, like we want to find a space for you. Um, and I think also early on when I had become a Christian, I had been introduced to a Christianity that, um, seemed to kind of have a lot of political baggage attached to it so it was like in order to be a christian you also have to vote this way and you also have to believe these things about these social issues and you know i really loved jesus a lot and i had fallen in love with with scripture and with um with the gospel and so i was like well 
I guess if I have to, I guess if I have to bring all of this other political and, and social baggage along with me to get to Jesus, then I will. Um, but I wish someone had had the ability to kind of cut through that and be like, no, actually, <laughs> like the, the core fundamentals remain and, and you don't have to um, believe all of these other things or vote this certain way or act this certain way. Like you can, you still get to be you, like you still get to retain the parts of you that, um, are important to you. I, I felt, I felt like in order to belong, in order to be part of the church, like I had to bury a lot of myself. Like I had to just push down. I, I mean, I'm a very outspoken, um, you know, pretty independent woman and I was raised to have a voice and, you know, in some of these churches, I felt like I wasn't fitting into what, what they thought I should be. And so, um, it wasn't until, I don't know, the last several years that I think I've seen God really resurrect some of those parts of myself. Hmm. Um, and I just wish that someone had caught that sooner and had been like, Hey, no, bring your whole self. Yeah. Um, not just the part that fit into our preconceived notion of what you should be. So, yeah. 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 So, um, so I'm hearing that when you were first introduced to church, you wish you had heard you belong. Um, you belong here no matter what. And even if you don't fit in any of the categories, you know, you're not a young family or a young married, or, you know, you're not an elderly person. Like we don't have a category for you yet, but you belong and we're going to figure this out together, um, which is awesome and beautiful. Um, And then a little later on, like, the message you needed to hear was you don't have to change who you are. Like you believe in Jesus and Jesus is about the transformation of, of you as a person. And that's going to look different for each person. So you don't have to change your political beliefs or, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to fit a particular mold. There is no, there is no like definition of a perfect Christian that you're going to need to fit into if you want to worship with us here at this church. Exactly. Yeah. I, and I found that to be true at honestly several churches. And I, I don't know how much of that was a true pattern and how much of it was perhaps me projecting <laughs> after that mm. first experience, but it certainly seemed to ring true um, for, for a lot of my experiences early on. So yeah, yeah. Those, those messages would have been helpful. And I think that really fits in with the sermon, you know, this idea um, of including people that's necessarily going to be diverse. And, you know, we like to talk about diversity as like this good thing that we value and everybody's got a diversity statement. But the reality is when you bring together a bunch of people who are really different, it can be difficult to get along. And I know we see that in churches. Um, And so that can get pretty messy, Mm -hmm. um, that that diversity. Um, I thought I had a question in there somewhere. (laughs) I lost it. Um, yeah, I lost it. It's That's gone. Right. I mean, I, I, I can speak to that a little bit too. Cause I, I have noticed that as well. Where like, yeah, everyone and their uncle has a diversity statement. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but then like when push comes to shove, what I found is a lot of institutions are like, we have this really great diversity statement. We're not really that diverse, but like we have a diversity statement and you know, we're trying. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm like, that's, that's good. Um, but I think there does have to be like a willingness to truly engage and to truly expand even like 
are, let's say I'm part of a church and we want to become more diverse. Like we have to expand our entire understanding of our identity, like of our, of ourselves, of what this church means. Like if we're going to include people um, that historically haven't come, you know, like, cause yeah. obviously what we're doing right now isn't really fully working. And so I think often there, there's a hesitancy there. It's like, we, we want diversity, but we want it on our terms, yeah. um, which automatically makes it not inclusive. So, yeah. Yep. And I think this is tangled up in, you know, in this sense of like, who's in control um, or feeling a need to control this or be in charge. Um, and then at the same time, um, I, my, I got it. My question, my thought came back to me. Um, your example of like middle school, you know, being in the out crowd, like you couldn't sit at the table in this in crowd. And I think that's just reflect, you know, it's um, middle school and high school are like a microcosm of this. And we think, you know, we get out of high school or even out of college and we think like, oh, we're, we're so much better. Like we're not so mean to each other now anymore. And yet like we still exist in not necessarily cliques, but like, you know, we kind of have our people that we run with. And and I think that's natural. Um, and we, you know, we're sort of, we're sort of wired in this like tribal way to kind of connect in these small groups and with people who are like-minded and who are like us in a lot of ways. And yet at the, in the church, we're supposed to resist that. We're supposed to come together across all those, um, boundaries. Um, but it's, it has to be intentional, right? Like more intentional than just a diversity statement. But right. it's a good first step, like saying that we value this and this is a goal. That's great. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think like, honestly, the, for me, the litmus test for an organization when it comes to diversity is not their diversity statement. It's their like board of directors and oh, yeah. their upper administration. Cause yeah. I'm like, well, those are the people that are actually making the decisions. And if you all look exactly the same, I can tell which people group you're actually representing and that's going to trickle down. Like, I think sometimes we don't think it does like, we're like, Oh, but we can make decisions that include, like we can make decisions that, but like it it won't trickle down. (laughs) It's very, very clear who, who the decisions are going to benefit. And so, yeah, it, it really does have to be intentional. Like you said, cause yeah, like we're, we're wired to, you know, like, flock together, whatever the, the phrase is like that. That's just kind of part of our biological wiring, I think. But, um, but yeah, we, we really do have to be intentional about, about reaching kind of across those, um, those lines to, to be truly inclusive in making processes in power dynamics and that kind of thing. So, yeah. 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 And I think that's one of the things that we're, um, not talking about enough, that when you have a whole leadership, for example, that's white, um, a whole board of directors or what, you know, all the, your, your C-level executives, you know, whatever kind of organization it is, when they're all white, um, I think that there is this, there's not a recognition of white culture. Like I still, I'm, I'm like very new to seeing that there is such a thing as white culture. Like I, I, my, (laughs) I've been blind to this. I have just thought of so many things as being like American or a part of like, well, this is what life is like in Oregon or in Beaverton or in LA or whatever. Like, and not, I mean, I've just been so blind to the fact that like, no, that's not, that's not just like a geographical thing or an, a, a nation thing, like this is white culture. 
And as long as there are only white people in charge, it's going to be a white culture environment. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, that's a really, really good point. Like the, the power of white spaces and just the fact that we see them as neutral um, (laughs) and can be really, really difficult for establishing true diverse community because it's not something that we as white people see often, or even if we do are willing to acknowledge. Um, Because I think often once we realize, oh, like we're in like a white space, like this is, all right, this, we thought it was neutral, but it's not. Then that means that there has to be like an intentional and specific invitation mm-hmm. um, to anyone for whom that space would feel awkward or difficult. Um, and we don't like to do that either. So I think there, there are several obstacles, but I, I also, um, you know, the, the past few months have been challenging, but they've, they've given me hope. I've seen a lot of people that previously may, may not have even been open to having these kind of conversations or open to even that idea suddenly starting to wonder and <laughs> to read and question. And so, um, you know, I, I don't want this to sound all negative. I, I have a lot of hope for the future and for, um, for, for us as a society to, to truly reevaluate mm-hmm. where those spaces are and work to make them inclusive. Um, but it's going to be hard work for sure. Yeah, <laughs> so. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for your time, for the energy that you put into this, for this good word that you brought to us. And is there, if there's one thing that you could share for the, um, church leaders who are listening to this podcast, what would you want them to hear? That's a great question. I'm a, can I share two things? Yes. Uh, one, I would say, don't assume that your perspective is the perspective. Like, instead of saying your perspective is the perspective, how about it's a perspective um, yes. and look for other people's perspectives and allow them to hold as much weight as yours um, would be my first thing. And my second thing would be like, it's okay if, if as you're moving forward and looking to diversify your community, if it's happening one person at a time. Like I think sometimes the flip side of that is we as leaders can get so overwhelmed and we're like, we have to change it all right now. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Now I know about this and I have to like fix it all. Um, But like, do doing this incremental work it gets it gets hard it gets tiring it gets difficult at times and so if you're doing this and it feels slow or if you're really unsure of what to do next like celebrate those small things like mm-hmm. celebrate that one person felt included um because of a decision that you made that one more person came to church that doesn't look exactly like you like that that's good to celebrate too mm-hmm. um So that's probably what I would say. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Well, blessings on your ministry um, and uh, your teaching. And we will hope to hear from you again on the podcast soon. Great. Thanks so much for having me. If today you find yourself on the outside without a seat at the table or a voice in the conversation, may you lean into the truth that you're always welcome in God's community. If you are one who wears the name minister, pastor, elder, shepherd, or are otherwise known as a faith leader, may you extend God's yes 
to those you might have said no to in the past. May you be emboldened and encouraged to honor the space that God has already created for all. Let's build bigger tables together. If something in you was stirred today, reach out. Hearing from you really does help to shape the future of this podcast. You'll have the greatest impact and opportunities for engagement by joining our Patreon community by clicking that Become a Patron button on our page, patreon.com slash jenhalechristie. And I would love for you to connect with me on Instagram or LinkedIn or Facebook at jenhalechristie. Lastly, you would really help others to connect with this work if you would subscribe and rate and review us on iTunes. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening and I will catch you next time.